Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. And just to update you, thanks in large part to many of you, uh, we've been able to purchase a new home in central Missoula. And there's a lot of work ahead of us when it comes to making another warehouse our church home. And you can continue to contribute to remodel and renovation funds at achurchbuilding.com. But we just want to express to you how grateful we are for your support. And we hope that this resource you're about to listen to will be a blessing for you as well. It's an honor and a pleasure of mine to have the privilege and the opportunity to preach from God's word this morning. Uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to step away from our time in Second Peter, uh, and instead we're going to turn to the book of John, and so specifically the first half of chapter three. And more specifically, we're going to be spending our time eavesdropping in on a conversation in the middle of the night between two teachers, Jesus and Nicodemus. And as we listen in, we're going to hear Jesus say things that at once sound foundational to our faith, especially to anyone who's a Christian, and yet they remain explosively powerful truths of the glory of God in salvation. So my hope today is that as God's word is preached, that we would experience together a delight and an awe and a wonder about what Jesus calls being born again, and that we'd worship God as we live uh, lives that continually reflect this new reality more and more each day. And so let's pray together again one more time before we get into it. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, we thank you this morning for the recreative work that you bring about in our hearts when you save us. Uh, God, we praise you that though we were dead in our transgressions and sin, that your spirit has raised us to new life in Christ. I pray for believers and unbelievers today, that we'd be captivated by your love for us, and that you would continue to perform the mighty, transforming work that only you can do as the gospel is preached today. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wanted to be uh, a fly on the wall at an important event? Have you thought about what a historic meeting was like if you were there, or a moment of great discovery. I mean, imagine being in the lunar module as it touched down on the moon, being on solid ground, but it's not the earth. Or hearing Abraham Lincoln deliver the Gettysburg Address and feeling the electricity in the air around you as soldiers regained uh, the will to fight for the proposition that all men are created equal. Seeing Moses come down from Mount Sinai, crossing the Jordan River with Joshua, and knowing that everything has changed. You know, we wonder what these moments were like because these are moments that have ripple effects in history. They become ingrained into the story of humanity. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to consider one of these moments in time and the ripples that we're still experiencing today. We're going to be a fly on the wall for one of the most important conversations in history because its implications and what they mean for you and me and everyone not only matter to how we experience God and life in each other every day, the words that Jesus speaks at a secret meeting in the night, they reveal a truth powerful enough to sustain our worship for eternity. And so today we're talking about being born again. So here's the roadmap for how this is going to go. This is for the note takers. Uh, we're going to first see uh, the need to be born again. 
We're going to see the way we are born again. And we're going to see what belongs to the born again. Are you ready? <laughs> All right, once more, here's our passage for today. John 3, verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, and truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit Spirit, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, we... I, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, this story is, at the very least, familiar to you. And it's familiar specifically because of Jesus' words, born again. These words are in our culture, even in America, even in 2020. And this idea is central to our understanding of salvation from sin and restoration to God. And yet the actual phrase translated as born again is only found in the Bible in John chapter 3, where we are today, and in 1 Peter 1. And so let's do it. Let's read the other two verses in 1 Peter. We have 1 Peter 1 to 3, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And 1 Peter 1, verse 23, this is kind of in the middle of a passage where it says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And so now today, you have heard all the uses of the phrase that's translated as born again. That's it in scripture. And if this is the case, that there are so few instances of this translation of this phrase, why is being born again such a big deal? Why is a type of Christian in our culture today a born-again Christian? Why is this important? And the answer is because Jesus Christ says it is. He says it in verse 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And he talks about this new birth in a slightly different way in verse 5. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he says again in verse 7, you must be born again. You must. And while the exact phrase isn't translated this way in more places in Scripture, the New Testament writers over and over again do hammer home the point that without a distinct change, a spiritual change brought about by God from the inside out, we can't see God or please him or know him or be restored to him. And this is important too. Um, As Nicodemus would have heard it, uh, the literal meaning of this phrase in the original Greek is born from above. So when Jesus is talking with him, he's being really clear about this new birth being a spiritual birth that comes from God. We see this from above translation uh, used later in John's gospel in chapter 3, verse 31. The same phrase is used, the same Greek word is used, and it's translated, he who comes from above is above all. And so think, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Lost my place here. Um, here we go. So the three phrases we're going to see today are uh, you must be born from again. We're going to see you must be born from above. And in verse 5, we saw you must be born of the Spirit. Uh, it's the same idea, and it's said those three different ways, a few different ways, and they're basically interchangeable. Uh, But what's non-negotiable is our need for a change. So this is our first point for today, the need to be born again. Uh, And we're going to flesh out this point in a little bit, but I think it'd be wise for us to first make sure we understand our characters and our setting in this narrative. Now, if I'm honest, when I first read this passage, uh, I had a really hard time with the oddness of how this conversation starts like the flow of it. Look, look at the, how it starts with me. Uh, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And now as I read it to you, I'm already putting an inflection in my voice to where you might be interpreting this interaction differently than if you were simply reading the passage in your devotional time. When I read it in my head, at first it seemed to me like Jesus is either frustrated or confrontational or just messing with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes in and he offers a greeting and pleasantries, kind words, and which I would argue were sincere. And Jesus seems to ignore that, and he takes control of the conversation, and he moves it in a completely different direction. That's how it seemed. You know, sometimes with passages like this, it can really help to read things out loud. And I'd encourage you to do that with passages of Scripture that you might find difficult. Besides discovering the tone of the passage, you know, there's a context that we need to take into account, and words that we need to read intentionally. And the context is helpful to understand here as we drop in on this meeting. It has to do with who Nicodemus is. From the text, what we know about Nicodemus is he's a Pharisee. We get that from verse 1. 
If you don't know, Pharisees uh, were religious leaders. They were the super holy people in society. They didn't just keep God's commandments. They added hundreds more on top of it. It made them appear even more perfect. And this gave them power and authority in the culture while simultaneously causing everyone who was not as good as the Pharisees to look at them and say, why even bother? I'll never be as good as him. And so John goes on to say that Nicodemus, he is a ruler of the Jews. Jesus, in verse 10, calls him the teacher of Israel. Later in the book of John, in chapter 7, verses 50 to 51, we learn that Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a governing body of the Jews. And each city could have a Sanhedrin. This was like the Jewish-only lower court system. And under Roman authority in the time of Christ, the Jewish nation, it was a, a, allowed this limited amount of self-regulation And then the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem would be like the final court of appeals for everything that concerns Jewish law or their religion. And so Nicodemus is all of those things. That's who he is. He is high on the food chain. He's a Pharisee, a rabbi, a teacher, a ruler, a judge, all of the above. And Jesus is not impressed. (laughs) Anyone who's read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that Jesus' harshest criticism was directed specifically at the Pharisees. And so, uh, here's a highlight reel that I'm going to paraphrase from Matthew 23. These are Jesus' greatest hits about the Pharisees. Jesus says, Do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, because they don't practice what they preach. You tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. They themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And you travel across the sea and the land to make a single follower, and you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give offerings of mint and dill, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but have a rotting corpse inside. Outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So it's an understatement to say that Jesus has a strong opinion about Pharisees. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He teaches them how to do that. This is the context of this meeting. I mean, you would never imagine these two spending time together. And yet, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus by night. And while this is a secret meeting, I don't believe this is espionage. Nicodemus isn't a spy here gathering intelligence. You can tell by his words. Verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. You know, something different is happening here. Why has Nicodemus asked for this meeting? 
And I believe it's because God has already been at work in his life. I said earlier that we need to understand the context and that there are words we need to read intentionally in order to understand what's happening. So these are those words I'm talking about. Nicodemus on one hand says, you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All of Jesus' miracles and his ministry point to and show what the kingdom of God The kingdom of heaven is like. And something is changing inside of Nicodemus, or else Nicodemus could not see that God was with him, that God was with Jesus. Jesus, in his response, seems to point to how God is at work in Nicodemus' heart, but Nicodemus himself is barely aware of it. Do you remember when you were there? God was at work in your heart, and you were barely aware of it. As a Pharisee, and with all the baggage that goes with that, as someone in need of being born again or regenerated, that's another word for it, Nicodemus does not and cannot understand the impact of what Jesus is talking about when he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so he goes on to answer in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, his response can seem silly to us. What a dummy, right, that he doesn't get it. Maybe it's just a nervous joke. (laughs) But Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night because he knew that there was something different about this man, that he came from God and that God was with him. He wants to know more. And just as this Pharisee treats Jesus very differently... Jesus treats this Pharisee very different than he does all the others in Scripture. Jesus goes and he rephrases his response and he clarifies it. Jesus is being kind here. He's not being confusing. Starting at verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And so Jesus uh, again clarifies and he emphasizes his point. The need to be born again, born from above, born of the spirit. Now some theologians uh, think that being uh, born of water is talking about a spiritual cleansing uh, from sin But most would say that the phrase born of water is referring to our natural birth, how we are brought into the world. And Jesus is saying we've had a physical birth, we're born of water, and we need to be born of the Spirit and have a spiritual birth as well in order to enter the kingdom of God. Being born into the right family, being physically born, won't save us. And that's an important thought for Nicodemus as a Jew. We need to be born again with a spiritual birth. And Jesus says exactly this another way as a follow-up. He says, born of water and born of the Spirit. And then he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We need to be born of the Spirit precisely because we are born of the flesh. What does it mean to be born of the flesh? Well, it means to be a human. 
a descendant of Adam. And as a descendant of Adam, we have an inheritance from him. And our inheritance from Adam is sin. A couple helpful texts here would be uh, Psalm 51.5, where it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So sin is our problem, even from the time that we're born. Or Romans uh, 5.12, where it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Adam's sin resulted in a consequence uh, that cascades and affects everyone who came after him. And that consequence is death. And a death that is deeper than physical death. Adam's sin resulted in spiritual death. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And what is the result of our being dead? It goes on to say that we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were physically alive, but spiritually dead to anything that would move our hearts to know God and please him. Now Nicodemus understands that there is something wrong between us and God. In fact, this is exactly why he is a Pharisee. This is why he does everything that he does. This is why he orders his life around hundreds of laws that he must keep. He feels the burden, the weight of his sin, and he has determined in his heart that if he simply does enough of the right things at the right time in the right way that he can save himself from what's wrong between him and God. Now if you were to ask someone why is sin a problem and why do we need a savior from it? They might say that sin is what makes us guilty before God and it brings us under his judgment so that we need a savior who can forgive our sins and take away our punishment. And this is absolutely right. But this is not the point of Ephesians 2.1. The reason we need a Savior is not just that God isn't happy with us and we need to be forgiven for offending him. We need a Savior because spiritually we are dead in the ground. Physically we have been born and spiritually we must be born again. And without this new birth we remain dead in our sins. You see, Nicodemus doesn't understand how big the problem is. He thinks he can fix it. And naturally, none of us can see how big the problem is. And none of us can fix it. And so by wearing this weight that his actions will justify him before God, he misunderstands where salvation comes from. And he thinks that it comes from him. And this is our second point for today. This is the way that we are born again, that God decisively recreates us by his spirit. So let's go back up to verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 11, where Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must 
be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now there's two things to see in this passage of scripture, and one is that Jesus thinks Nicodemus should know better. I'm saying this because of verse seven, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And his question in verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So I want to explore that, uh, why Jesus says that. And the second thing is that uh, Jesus says that people are only born again through the Holy Spirit because of the Holy Spirit. So Nicodemus should know better. Um, Salvation has always come through God. And God has promised in his word to recreate us and make us new in the scriptures that Nicodemus would have read. He would have known these. He would have memorized these. The scripture he would have memorized and taught. And the most straightforward of these verses, I think, is found in Ezekiel 36 Uh, verses 24 to 27, where it says, God is saying, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So speaking about Jesus' rebuke to Nicodemus, the theologian D.A. Carson said that verse 10 might as well read, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't know your Ezekiel? (laughs) I mean, this passage is huge. God is going to gather his people from all the nations. That's huge. He's going to clean them from their sin. He's going to do it. He's going to perform a heart transplant, but not a normal one. Normally, there's a heart that kind of works, being changed into a heart that kind of works better. But in this operation, God is changing out our dead, unbeating, hard as a rock, heart of stone to spiritual things and pleasing God, and he's changing it to a heart of flesh, a heart that beats a heart that is alive. And he's putting his spirit in us. This is huge. No longer is the Holy Spirit something that comes upon people uh, uh, in various times and in various ways for short, specific works uh, in redemptive history. Now, instead, God gives his spirit to newly alive heart transplant patients so that the spirit can highly suggest that we do more good things than bad. No, that's not right. Um, The Spirit will encourage us and say, you're doing a great job, keep up the good work, follow your heart. That's not it either. Sorry, I keep getting this wrong. God says, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, Nicodemus should have known better about the change we needed 
and about where it came from. We must spiritually be made new. And God has promised this. This is something that God does through his Holy Spirit. And this is the second thing I want to address in this section, that people are only born again through the Holy Spirit. The active work of the Holy Spirit is the only way that people are born again. And now we come to verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Again, Jesus is being really kind to this Pharisee. Nicodemus, he couldn't grasp the spiritual nature of the event that Jesus was describing. And so Jesus explained that spiritual birth was something that others cannot see. And so using a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, he compared it to the wind. You cannot see the wind, but you can see the result of its passing. And now Jesus is having some fun here uh, with his words and his explanation here because, uh, fun fact, the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same in Greek. It's pneuma. Pneuma, pneuma, pneuma. That's really fun to say. Um, And so Jesus is saying that the way the spirit moves is like the wind. The way the pneumatos moves is like the pneuma. So in what way is the Holy Spirit like the wind? I need help. Uh, Well, Jesus says that the wind blows where it wishes. Another way to say that is that it goes where it wills. It does what it wants, what it pleases. It's able and free to go where it pleases. The Holy Spirit isn't bound by us. It's not a genie doing our bidding. The Spirit acts on us and we respond like the wind in a sail. And this is the next way that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Verse 8 says that the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. Like the wind in a sail, we can see the wind. We can't see the wind, but we experience its effects. We hear its sound. We feel it at our backs. We see the trees around us sway. And when you are around someone who experiences new birth in Christ, Though you have not seen the wind of the Spirit, its effects are remarkable and visible to anyone. A life has been changed. Non-existent affections for God have suddenly exploded. Desires for sin have been replaced by desires for righteousness. In verse 8, Jesus goes on to say, but you don't know where where it comes from or where it goes. We don't control it. We don't make it happen. We don't conjure it up. It's the same in salvation. This is a mystery that belongs to God. We don't decide what the wind does or where it goes. And likewise with the Spirit of God as it changes hearts. The Holy Spirit does what it does. It moves where it moves and acts as it wills. It doesn't bend to our will. We bend to its will. And when we understand this, how we pray for the lost around us changes. How we evangelize and share the good news of Christ with people changes. You know, these thoughts, they don't make us give up on people. They encourage us to press in more. 
We beg God to open blind eyes to see and give people new hearts. We become freed from the idea that people's salvation is held in the balance by our performance or our methods. Free to trust God and ask him to have mercy. If God is the one who decisively saves, and this should encourage you, then God can save anyone. In this last part of this verse, Jesus says, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And quite simply, everyone who is born of the Spirit, everyone who can see God and enter into his kingdom, everyone who is born of the Spirit is born the same way. By the Spirit's decisive, recreating work. This is the way it is for everyone who is born again. We believe because of the Spirit's work and not the other way around. We don't believe and then come alive. Dead stone hearts can't believe anything. They're dead. Instead, the Holy Spirit made us alive and we believed. So after hearing everything that Jesus said about this, Nicodemus responds, how can these things be? So how do we read this? Does Nicodemus just not understand Jesus' explanations? Or is the problem that he does? And that at this moment, it sounds too good to be true. Does it sound too good to be true for you? If you're here today or watching online with us, have you thought of yourself as an unbeliever in the gospel? The good news that Jesus has done everything that was required to forgive our sins and restore us to God. I want you to know that belief is a gift from God, that God the Father draws people to Jesus and that the Holy Spirit of God works in the hearts of people so that they might see Jesus as Savior. Might God the Father be drawing you to believe today? You know, I've heard another pastor say that you do not need any other witness of the Spirit's work within you than the desire you feel to come to God. And so if any part of you is longing to trust Christ, it is of God. And you can believe that he is at work in you. He has brought you to this point and will continue his work. And so if that's you today, I want you to reach out to me or any of the other pastors or elders here. I want you to reach out to one of your Christian friends. We would love to help you continue to grow and know more. And for the Christians here, are you still effectively trying to earn God's favor? Or are you resting in wonder that God, through his spirit, would reveal the gospel to you and cause you to believe? Though you did nothing to merit salvation, God has freely given it to you as a gift. And it's a gift you can enjoy I want to encourage you this morning that meditating, uh, thinking deeply about God's choosing love for you will lead to an effervescent, overflowing fuel for worship that will give you strength and peace and comfort, will sustain you in your holiness and good works. But if your excitement has grown cold and your contentment has waned, there exists the possibility that you have forgotten how miraculous it is that you believe the gospel. This morning, remember and rejoice that God has freely lavished his love on you and the evidence 
is that you believe. K.J. Keogh, one of the other uh, pastors here, on Sunday mornings after uh, particularly powerful times in worship, he often comes up and says to me, uh, can you believe that you get this? Isn't it amazing that any of this makes sense? It is. <laughs> it is amazing. Because it is only through the work of the Spirit that we become spiritually alive and able to please God. Able to see the kingdom and able to enter it. You know, I think Nicodemus almost gets it. But he doesn't believe yet. Look at verse 10 through 11. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. He has the scriptures. He has the testimony of Jesus' followers. He even has Jesus himself explaining the new birth but he doesn't believe yet. He's looking for another explanation for what's going on because I think that he knows that if what Jesus is saying is true, it's going to cost him everything. The respect of being the holy guy who everyone thinks is perfect, the loss of stature in the community, his whole identity will change. Everything he has worked for, it's been futile and it has not brought him any closer to God. All of his actions have only masked rebellion and self-righteousness. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to save self-righteous rebels like Nicodemus and like you and like me. And so here's our last point for today. What belongs to the born again? Eternal life comes through Jesus. So let's finish our passage. Uh, John 3, verses 12 through 15. This is the rest of Jesus' response to Nicodemus' question, how can these things be? Jesus continues, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus has attempted to explain becoming spiritually alive to Nicodemus using examples from life and nature to describe spiritual things. Birth, water, flesh, wind. And Jesus has also pointed to the visible work of the Spirit on earth the testimony of those who now follow him, the effects of the wind of the Spirit, if you will. But Nicodemus still can't see it because he's not yet born again. And Jesus knows that without agreeing on the basics, that an explanation of deeper spiritual realities would fall on deaf ears. And that's because the ground floor of a relationship with God is admitting that there is a problem between us and God that we can't solve. We've sinned against him and we need God's grace through Jesus. So in the last minutes of this message today, we're going to talk about how Jesus didn't give up on Nicodemus. 
just like he didn't give up on you and me when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. At the end of this text, Jesus changes the way that he talks. He pulls back the curtain and he reveals who he is and what he came to do. Verse 13, uh, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So up until verse 13, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is very much like two teachers talking. They have a discussion. There's a debate. But at verse 13, the debate stops. Jesus stops talking as a teacher, and he starts talking as the Lord, the Son of Man, who came from heaven to make the new birth that we need possible. Jesus takes Nicodemus to a story from the Old Testament, to Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, where it says, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. So that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Back to verse 14 from our text. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just as the bronze serpent lifted up was the embodiment of the curse that God's people were under. And if they looked upon it, they would live. So too would Jesus become cursed for our sake as he was lifted up on the cross. And if we would look upon him and believe in the power of his finished work, that the death we deserved died with him and the life he was raised to is ours to receive, we would receive eternal life in his name. Looking to the bronze serpent in Moses' day removed the power of deadly venom. But looking unto Jesus removes the power of death itself. And so what belongs to the born again? Eternal life with Christ our Savior, free from the power of sin and death. We're going to close our time now. You know, our problem with sin was so great that we needed to be made into a new creation. So great that no amount of rule following or good deeds or religious observance would tip the scale in our favor. But the Father's love for us was so great 
that the Son of God laid down his life for ours and through his spirit causes our dead hearts to come alive and find a joy that will carry us into eternity with him. And so to sinners without hope, Jesus Christ doesn't tell us to do better or do more. He tells us to be born again, to look at him on the cross and believe. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for this conversation that's been recorded in history. God, we thank you uh, for this work that you do in our hearts. God, that our being born again isn't the result of being in the right place at the right time. It isn't the result of being born into the right family. It isn't uh, the result of uh, our personal uh, law-keeping and our good deeds. Father God, we thank you that it's you who in love and in mercy cause our hearts to see Christ as beautiful. Lord, I pray that that would uh, well up in the heart of our church a faith that lasts and saints that persevere. God, I pray uh, that the work that you're beginning to do in the hearts uh, of unbelievers, Father God, draw people to your side. Lord, open eyes. Lord, uh, change the heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Lord, help people worship you and see you as beautiful and worthy of the story of their lives. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, and we pray that you'd be with us as we worship now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.